All right, well, welcome everyone. Glad that you're here, that you've joined us this morning. Um, if you are over in East Hall, we're glad you're here. If you're watching online, so glad you've joined us that way. And uh, obviously right here in the sanctuary, welcome on this Labor Day weekend. My name's Todd. I am one of our pastors here. been on staff here. One of the uh, areas that I oversee is actually our marriage ministry. And it's a privilege to be a part of overseeing that ministry. And one of our goals for marriage ministry is that we would be the kind of ministry that helps couples prepare to have a great marriage. All right, so we do premarital, but also that we would be uh, a, a ministry that would help couples build and strengthen their marriage when they're married, at any stage of marriage, and then also when necessary, that we would be a ministry that through God's power helps to save marriages when that's needed. And so we have two things coming up that I wanted to tell you about in regards to marriage ministry. The first is a class called Merge. It is for couples who are engaged and are preparing to be married. So many people prepare for the wedding day, but sometimes they miss out on actually preparing for the marriage. And so if you are someone who's engaged and uh, you'd benefit from that, that'd be great. If you know someone, whether it's in the church or outside of the church, that might benefit from going through a premarital class, tell them about Merge. And if you are a dating couple, and you are getting serious, and you just want to figure out if marriage is something that you should do in the future, you could also join in Merge, all right? But also for married couples, we have a ministry called Reengage. Reengage is a ministry that is for any married couple at any stage of marriage, any place in life, uh, and the purpose of Reengage is that you would come in, and that you would invest in your marriage, and you would grow it. Wherever you're at, you'd grow it to be better when you leave than when you came in. All right, so there are some couples who have come in to re-engage and their marriage has been saved by God through that ministry. There are other couples who just come in, have a good marriage, but come and strengthen it and have a better marriage through re-engage. And so if you are married, we'd love for you to consider being a part of it. Uh, you, you do not have, so the only thing about re-engage, there's only one rule, and that's that you can't have a perfect marriage, okay? If you have a perfect marriage, you're not invited. All right, so please join us. Um, Re-Engage launches September 9th. Merge, our premarital class, launches September 23rd. And there's tables out in the atrium. You can ask more questions. All right, today. Today we are in between two series. Uh, two weeks ago we finished a series called The Dirty Dozen. And uh, that was a great series. Hope you enjoyed it. Next week we're going to be launching a series called Hebrews Together, where we'll, we're going to spend eight weeks going through the book of Hebrews, and it's going to be great. This week, we are right smack in the middle of those two series, and so today, Pastor Joe actually asked if I would get up here and share something that God has placed on my heart, especially as it relates to what our church has been going through in the past month, and so it's my privilege to do that today, and I wanted to tell you, I, I grew up at this church, been here since I was like nine or ten years old. Uh, so some of you have actually watched me grow up, and I have, uh, I've been on staff here now for 15 years. This church has been such a huge part of my whole life, and I love this place, but I don't love this place because it's a perfect place. I love this place because it belongs to Jesus, always has, always will, in successes and in failures, it belongs to Jesus. He's our leader. But I love this place for another reason I wanted to tell you this morning. I love this place because this has been a hard month 
But there is no other group of people that I would rather go through hard times with than you all. And I really feel that. It's interesting, when, when life gets hard, you kind of you know who your real community is, like who your people are, right? When life gets hard. But what I feel is that as we've gone through this month, that truly so many of you are my people. You are my real community. And it's times like these where we need each other more than ever. But what I recognize is that not, not everybody feels like they have that kind of community in this place. But I want you to know that we as a leadership desire for you to find your people here. The ones you can be you, where you can be yourself with. The ones that you can go through hard times with. And, and I want to tell you, it's not enough. A lot of people like this church. So people come in and out every week and go, this is a great church because there's good sermons and good worship and, and there's coffee, a coffee shop and there's uh, some smiling faces. Those are all good things that make up a church. But we want you to find your people here. We want you to find a real community here. We feel like until you do that, uh, you won't be changed like you could. And so the problem is that people are complicated. We all know that. People are complicated. I want you to think back to your worst church experience you've ever had. All right, you, you got it? All right, now think back to your best church experience that you've ever had. Both of them has had to do with the same exact thing. People. People have always been the best part about church and sometimes the worst part about church. They can ruin your church experience. They can make it incredible. It is people that are so frustrating. It's people that make church so difficult. But I want to tell you this today. It is people that you and I cannot live without. We were made for each other. The first two chapters of the Bible, or the first two chapters of Genesis, is the account of creation. When God created everything that was, and every time he created something in the universe, he looked at it and he said, this is good, it is good. But out of all the two chapters, out of all the things he created in the first two chapters of Genesis, out of everything, he said there's one thing that is not good, just one. He said it is not good, for man to dwell alone. You see, we were made for relationships, but here's the problem. It's those relationships that can either drive us away from God, further, than, further from God than ever, and it's also those relationships, though, can, that can drive us and draw us closer to God than ever before. That's why I'm calling this message the transforming power of community. What I'd like to do today is answer a question, and the question is this, how can we be the kind of place, the kind of community, where by the way we live, we transform each other? And how can we be that kind of place? And there are, there are three ways that I think we can do this. We must become a place to be broken, a place to be loved, and a place to be restored. A place to be broken, loved, and restored. So first, we must become a place to be broken. Now, one of the things that you noticed in the Dirty Dozen series 
is just how often Jesus spent time with sinners. He spent time with some of the worst people out there. And one of those people was actually the the first message in the Dirty Dozen series was on a guy named Levi. Levi was a tax collector. And tax collectors were like notorious for being horrible people because what they would do is they would abuse their role as a tax collector to charge people extra money on top of what they actually owed and they would pocket the excess money. What they would do is they would rob from people to make themselves rich and everybody knew it. And so tax collectors were notorious sinners and that's what Levi was. And so Jesus went to Levi's house to actually eat dinner with him. And the Bible says in Mark 2 that that there were many sinners and tax collectors eating with Jesus, many of them there. And then the Pharisees come by, and the Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. They were the church people. And the Pharisees come by, and they see Jesus eating with all these horrible people. And they go, why in the world would Jesus dine with sinners? Why would, that, that blows my mind why he would ever even associate with these people. And Jesus has this great response that's found in Mark chapter 2, verse 17. And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, listen to this, this is what Jesus says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So no one admits themselves into a hospital because they are healthy. No one goes to the hospital to prove to the doctor that they are healthy. You go to a hospital to actually let the doctor know that you are sick and that you need him or her to help you be healed. That's why you go to a doctor. And likewise, Jesus says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, It is the sick. I've not come to call the righteous. I've come to call sinners. Now listen, it's interesting that the Pharisees were the ones that were the ones that were baffled by Jesus spending time with these sinners. And they were almost bothered by it. Because Pharisees were the church people. They were the religious leaders of the day. But Pharisees approached God in the wrong way. You see, what Pharisees did is they approached God to try to prove to God that they were actually righteous, that they were good enough for God. That's how Pharisees came to God. And they were the church people. So they saw church completely different. They saw church as a place where I'm going to go and I'm going to prove to everyone around me and to God himself that I am actually a pretty good dude, that I'm pretty righteous, That's what the Pharisees did. See, the Pharisees saw church as a place where you have to have it all together. That's the way they saw church. And I want us to be careful because I think there are some times where we can approach church, we can approach God the same way, where we come in and we see going to church as kind of a notch on our spiritual belt where if we show up, we feel better about ourselves and we are trying to prove to the people around us and to God himself that we are good. But listen, you don't come to church to try to prove to God that you are good any more than you would go to a hospital and try to prove to the doctor that you are healthy. Jesus changed all of that He said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. If there is any place 
where you can come that is a safe place to admit that you are a sinner, that you are broken, it is church. If there's any place where you can come and admit that you don't have it all together, it is this place. We have to be a safe place for people to be broken because Jesus made himself that safe place. We have to be that safe place as well. All right, so the question is, if we are supposed to be a safe place for people to be broken, then why aren't we? Why do you come into different groups here, and why is it hard to admit your struggles and difficult to admit your sins? And I think there are a lot of reasons for that, but here's one reason that I think is true. It's that we believe a lie, and the lie is this. I am the only one that is struggling with sin. Because I come into church and it looks like everybody has it all together. Everybody looks good. They're praising God. I don't think there's anything wrong with those. So if I admit my sin, people are going to think I'm weird. I'm going to be embarrassed when I, it, when I admit my sin because no one else is struggling with the thing I'm struggling with. But that's a lie. It's a lie. And what that lie does is it, is it moves you towards isolating yourselves from the very people that I think can really help you. I told you uh, about re-engage. Re-engage is our marriage ministry, and the very first thing that happens on a Monday night at re-engage is that there is a couple that will get up on stage, and they will go through their marriage story, and it's not a, it's not the marriage story that they want you to hear, like the happily ever after marriage story. They tell their real marriage story. Everybody knows this. Marriage is hard, and so the couples are sharing some of the brokenness and some of the hurt from their marriage, and it's hard to do. But I mean, you should hear some of these couples. They've been through some really broken situations. There are more couples than you think that have dealt with infidelity here. There are more couples that share about how pornography has come as a wedge in between them. There are more couples who have dealt with addiction and, and drinking as a problem in their marriage or, or as eating disorders or insecurities or anger. And these couples share all of, these bro- all of the brokenness of their marriage. And, and it's not like we're pulling these couples in like the riffraff off the streets because we can't find anybody in here that's broken. These, these are our, like our church people. These are some of our best people that have been hurt, that have been broken by their own sin. And they share how God has healed them and how God has moved in their marriage. And here's the best part about re-engage is after they share their story, we break up into groups. And in those groups, we open the Bible and we talk about what the Bible has to say about our marriage and how we can grow it. And we ask couples to open up. And for the first time, because they've heard that marriage story, the walls are broken down. And for the first time, people feel like they're not alone that they can actually open up about their struggles because they know they're not alone. That's why we have to be a place. We have to be a place where you can be broken. And I believe that the, gospels, the gospel going forward in this place is dependent on us being a place where people can be broken, a safe place where people can be broken. There is a, a, a verse, 1 John one eight that I want to read to you. You can follow along on the screen because I'm going to be bouncing around. It says, 
If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Right? So if we come in and out of church on a weekly basis and we never are willing to admit our struggles and our sins to God or anyone else, then we're deceiving ourselves. And it's hard for us to even know the truth. Because if you want to know the truth of God's love for you, you must first come broken and in need of his love. You will never understand his love unless you understand your brokenness. This has to be a safe place to be broken. And we have to help create that environment. So number one, we have to become a place to be broken. But number two, we have to be a place to be loved, a place where people feel loved. Now, we are, we need to be a place where people can feel broken, but even in their brokenness, we need to love them even so. That's what we have to do. Now, I, I realize what I'm asking uh, of us to do is to be a more transparent church, to be more open about our struggles. And I also realize, trust me, that there's risk involved in that. There's risk involved because if you find someone here in this church that you can in time build trust with and then open up about a struggle that you're having, you give that person great power over you, don't you? Because they can use the struggle that they just heard you confess to them. They can use that to hurt you. They can use it against you by gossiping or whatever. Or they can use it to transform your life, to, to grow you stronger. They have, that happens. They have a great power over you. And I think for some of you, when I asked you in the beginning, what, what is your worst experience with church? Some of your worst experiences are that you did start to get to know somebody. You opened up to them and they used whatever hurt or sin you shared with them, they used it against you. And, and you, never, you never wanted to open up them again because they used your hurt, your sin against you. Now, I'm sorry if that's happened to you, and I understand why you might be hesitant to open up. But I want to tell you today that I believe we can be the kind of place that when someone comes up to you and is open about their own sin, admits their own issues that they're going through, no matter how broken it is, that our response is that we don't run, we don't shun them, we don't leave, we don't run for the hills, we stay, we love, we listen to what they're saying, and we tell them, I am so glad that you're here. You are in the right place. When we respond like that, it can transform someone's experience with church. And this isn't something I'm making up. This is the way that Jesus loves us. In Romans 5, 8, it says, But God shows us his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That verse doesn't say that as soon as you got your act together and stopped sinning, then Christ died for you. It says, while you were sinners, when you were sinning, the worst of sins, Christ died for you. That means when, if you, when you are at your worst, it's Jesus that loves you the most. That's the power of his love. If Jesus loves like that, and we represent Jesus, 
then we have to learn how to love like that. There should be no one that comes into this place that is too broken, that is too far gone for us not to love. Not here, not in this place. Right? But I know that, that we love, when we are broken and we understand that God has forgiven us and he loves us, we, are, we love that when it's for us. But my challenge today is how well are we displaying that kind of love to other people around us? I did middle school ministry for a long time when I first started here at this church, and I loved middle school ministry because middle schoolers are in a place in life where they are trying to figure out who they are. They're, they don't feel like they belong. It's an awkward stage. And so the, the best part about middle school ministry is what you do is you help them understand that Jesus loves them, that they belong, that they can be accepted. Uh, and that's how you have to make them feel in that stage of life. I got a, I got a call, uh, a voicemail from a former student that I had in middle school ministry just last week. And uh, this guy now is like 25 years old. And uh, so he's like, this is like 12, 13, 14 years ago when he was in our middle school ministry. And he called me and he left me a voicemail. And here's what the voicemail said. He said, hey, Todd, I don't know if you remember me. He said his name. I remember him. And he said, I just wanted to say thank you. He said, when I first came into EDGE, which is our middle school ministry, he said, I was in a really dark place. He said, I know this is kind of heavy to leave on a voicemail, but he said, I was in this place where I even wanted, like, I wasn't even sure I wanted to live anymore. I was thinking about ending my life. But when I came in, he said, you were nice to me, and you had no reason to be nice to me. And he said, and then I stuck around, and when it was my birthday, you sent me a birthday card. And when I was like feeling the most unlovable, you loved me. And he said, I wanted you to know that you were the first person to show me the love of Jesus. And it was like that made my year, that voicemail. Like I'm going to hold on to it forever. I, and I, I don't share this voicemail to brag about myself because I get it wrong plenty of times. But I share that voicemail with you and that story with you to just show you just how important it is that we are a church that is marked, defined by our love for others. We have to be, because you never know who's walking in those doors, where they've been, who's walking into your community group, and what they're going through at the time. And I know a lot of people go, I don't know how to share my faith. It's really hard for me to do that. But I want to tell you one of the best ways that you can make Jesus famous is simply by your unconditional love for them, no matter what they tell you. And if we live that out, you just may get a voicemail 12, 13, 14 years from now that says you were the first person that showed me the love of Jesus. So we must be a place where, we can be bro where, where people can be broken, a place where people can feel loved. But the last one is that we must be a place to be restored place to be restored. What I believe is that the first two points are so important to this last one. And this last one can't happen without the first two. So once we have, uh, once we have become a place where people can be broken and people can be loved, then we have positioned ourselves to be a place where people can be 
restored. And I think God wants to use us as a community as a part of the restoration process. But if I stop the sermon at those first two, if I said, listen, here is this, the sermon's going to end with two points. It's that you need to be a place where people can be broken and be loved. Then I feel like I am missing a really big piece to this. But I want to tell you too that there are a lot of communities outside of the church where you can be broken and you can be loved. There are. There are and actually some of those communities sometimes uh, unfortunately do a little bit better of a job than some churches do at allowing people to be broken and be loved nonetheless. And so I think that should, that should challenge us because we need, the church of all places needs to be the best at this because Jesus was the best at it. We've all received that. And so we need to be able to do that for others. But I think it's this third point that makes all the difference, that separates our community from every other community out there. And it's not just, it's not just that we're broken and we have, this is a place to be broken and that we're loved in our brokenness, but that we are loved so much that Jesus died for us so that we don't have to be broken anymore. See, what Jesus has done for us is he has given us a way to restore us back to the relationship with God that we were designed for. Remember what I said in the beginning, that nobody goes to a doctor when you're healthy. You don't go to the hospital and say to the doctor, I'm, I'm really healthy, I'm just trying to prove to you that I am. You go to the doctor when you're sick. And you go to him so that he will fix you. Now listen, I, uh, if, I went to, if I went to the doctor, if I was sick, and I had all these symptoms, and I was like, I've got to get to the doctor. And I went to the doctor and I said, here are my symptoms. And he ran a whole bunch of tests on me. And when I, when I got out of there, and when I got done with the test, the doctor comes and says, all right, here's your diagnosis. You have this illness, but I want you to know you are loved. Have a nice day. All right? That would be a doctor with good bedside manner, but it would be a bad doctor. A really bad doctor because a doctor's job is to help bring restoration and healing to my body if I am sick. A doctor's job isn't just to tell you you're broken, but you're loved. He's there to restore you back to health. And that's why Jesus is often referred to as the great physician. And he is the doctor of all doctors. Because when you come to Jesus with your brokenness, he loves you anyway and he died for you so that you don't have to be broken anymore. And the way he did that is that he was broken for you, that he paid for your sin for you. Listen to Isaiah 53, 5. It says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. This is Jesus. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. This is what separates our community from every other community out there. It's that we have a solution that by his wounds, we can be healed. And we can be healed one time for all time when we place our faith in Jesus. 
But also when we come with our brokenness, when we fall, when we sin, we come to Jesus with that sin. Remember 1 John. The passage in 1 John 1.8, it says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So we have to admit our sin. But then what do we do with the sin when we bring it to Jesus? Here's what it says in the very next verse. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, when we are broken, we can be loved, but we can bring our sins to Jesus. We confess them to him, and when we confess them, he forgives us. There is nothing the blood of Jesus cannot cover. He wants us to come to him with our sins. And so we as a community have to be the kind of place that doesn't just allow people to be broken and tell them they're loved, but we have to say, listen, you don't have to live broken anymore. You don't have to because of what Jesus has done. You can take your sins to Jesus. There's nothing that Jesus cannot cover by his blood and what he did on the cross. Bring them to Jesus. Receive forgiveness. Repent and move on and be restored. That's the kind of community that we need to be. And I think Jesus is the one who truly restores. We're just the ones who point people to him. But we have a role. We do have a role in this. As a community, we have a part to play in restoring people. And I want to show you how that happens. It's in a verse, uh, Galatians 6.1. Listen to this verse or follow along on the screen. It says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, which is a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. There are two things I want to point out about that verse. The first one is it says, of course, there is a place, there is a time that you and I can call out a brother or a sister in their sin. If you catch somebody in sin, it's a great opportunity to point it out to a brother or sister. But what it says is that you do that with a spirit of gentleness. And I think the biggest problem sometimes that Christians uh, make, the biggest mistake Christians make, and it's why it's ruined people's church experience, is because they feel like it's, everybody feels like it's their job to call out anyone and everyone in their sin. Like it's, that's their job all the time. And sure, there is a place to call someone out in their sin, but I think you have to do it with a spirit of gentleness. If you want to be gentle, then you have to follow the first two points that you would be a safe place for them to be broken, that you would be a place where even when in their brokenness you love them, and then when you do that, you've created this environment where you can then gently restore them. But the second part about this verse that I wanted to point out is the last sentence. It says, keep watch on yourself lest you be tempted. And it's, it's interesting that Paul actually says that right after. He says, yeah, you can call a brother out in sin, but be careful lest you be tempted. What he's saying is remember how easy it is for you to fall. You of all people as a Christian know what it's like to be completely broken, to be loved, and to be restored. So when you come at your brother, when you come at your sister to try to show them their sin, come with gentleness 
and come out of humility knowing that that same grace has been, had, has been given to you. And I think when we come to each other like that, I think we can be a transformational community. We have to be a place where people can be broken, be loved, and be restored. But listen, those three things, those are the three points of the gospel. They're the three points of the gospel that you are broken because of your sin and separated from the God who created you, but that you are loved nonetheless and so loved that God sent his son Jesus to give his life for you, to die in your place so that you could be forgiven forever. That is the gospel. But it's not enough that we preach the gospel, that we teach the gospel. We have to live the gospel out in our communities. And I think real life change happens when we live it out. When, not when we tell people about Jesus, but when we show them what Jesus actually is like. And we do that in our communities. Now, as we close, I wanted to give one challenge because the takeaway for many of you is that you will start thinking about your friends here at this church or your community group or your circle of people. And you're going to start thinking, are, I wonder if they're that kind of place. I wonder if those people are safe, a safe people for me to admit my sin and people that will love me anyway and people that will restore me. I wonder if those are the kind of people that will do that. Stop thinking about other people. Don't think about other people. What I want to do today as you leave here is I want everyone to ask themselves this question. Am I the kind of place where people can be broken, be loved, and be restored? And as each of us challenges ourselves in that, I think we will become the kind of community where the gospel is so evident that we begin to make Jesus famous for generations. That's the transforming power of community. And when you find it, you will find your people. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the greatness of your love for us that we do not deserve. Lord, today I pray that each of us could look inward and to ask ourselves if we are displaying the gospel in the way we live our lives and in the communities that we're in. Are we allowing for people to be broken and are we loving people well and are we gently restoring people? Father, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus that we would grow in this, that we would become a deeper church that finds that each of us would find our people here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.